Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey everyone, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer, and today on The Breakdown, we are going to dig into how California is dealing with this unprecedented public health crisis, and what else needs to be done. That's great, Scott. We are all adjusting to the swift turn of events over the past week. Cities like our own San Francisco are under shelter-in-place orders as we all struggle to contain this novel coronavirus. So full disclosure, we're doing this show from separate locations. Got to get that social distancing in effect. Uh, we're like three miles apart, I think. Yeah, that do. that's about it. Scott and I are both broadcasting from our homes. It is Thursday afternoon, we should say as well, because this is a fast-moving story. Um, but just to set the scene a little bit, I am at a uh, fold-up card table in my garage. Um, <laughs> I am there. I, I'm looking at my kids' bikes and scooters in front of me, and they are just upstairs plugged into a TV show for half an hour so I can get this done. TikTok. How are you? Where are <laughs> you good. at, Scott? I'm, I'm in a spare bedroom in my uh, house uh, in San Francisco, and this is usually the room where, if like, if there's no room to put stuff uh, elsewhere, it gets dumped in here. So, so we dumped you in there. Yeah, we dumped me. <laughs> I've got pillows around me, and you know, trying by, and not to relax, but to you know, so there's no echo in the room. <laughs> so it's, sure, we're making Scott. do. We're sure, making do. Feet, my feet are up. <laughs> all right. Well, we're all trying to make the best of the situation. Um, in a moment, we're going to check in with Dr. Richard Pan. He is a state senator and a pediatrician. He's taken on some of the state's challenging public health crises in the past. Not anything compared to this, I'm sure. But first, we're going to check in with our very own Katie Orr, who is in Sacramento at our studio, um, six feet away from Dr. Pan in a different room. Through the glass. <laughs> separated by a glass window. <laughs> awesome. Katie, thank you for joining us. Um, how you doing, I guess, to start? <laughs> yeah, we're doing good. You know, as good as you, uh, we can all be expected to. I have typically been working at home uh, and a little table in my living room. Uh, but uh, for you guys, I made the trip up to Sacramento into the bureau. So I'm keeping it, you know professional today. Welcome back from maternity <laughs> yes, leave, Katie. You. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I had my little baby in our meeting this morning. <laughs> She's super cute. So, Katie, you have been monitoring all of the very fast-moving events in Sacramento. Um, the legislature did come back, and or not come back, but stay, stayed back and passed a bill this week. The governor has been holding pretty much daily briefings. Tell us what has happened and kind of where we're at as a state on all this. 
Yeah, I think it's really unprecedented times. As you mentioned, the governor um, has been taking action almost daily. We're seeing executive orders for from him, um, things like procuring uh, hotels and motels to help house uh, people who are homeless in our state, paying for trailers for people, um, trying to expand uh, beds in, in hospitals. Um, and we also saw the legislature in the very beginning of the week, they took very quick action and passed um, up to $1.1 billion in emergency aid to help fund those efforts. But after they did that, they took the pretty unprecedented step of recessing until mid-April. And now they can come back sooner if they need to, or they could extend that recess if they they want to. But for now, they're not coming into the Capitol, but they do stress, and I'm sure Dr. Pan will tell you, that they are working from their district offices. So it doesn't mean that they're just home watching Netflix. (laughs) They're they're working uh, remotely. Well, and Katie, I think uh, even the governor remarked at how remarkable it was that uh, that $1.1 billion allocation was done so quickly and without a negative vote. No, it was all it was unanimous. Um, it, does that reflect sort of the mood up there that, you know, this is a crisis, obviously, and everyone is just trying to be on their best behavior and get along and, uh, you know, all, all for one, one for all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that it really does show how serious people are taking this and that we've never seen anything like this before. Um, in Sacramento County, where I live, they just um, they're going to implement a shelter in place like you guys are dealing with there. And it's just so bizarre. You know, I keep thinking you look outside and everything looks normal, but it's not. <laughs> and yeah. I think that, you know, one of the signs of that is this unanimous bill for quite a bit of money going through the legislature uh, so easily. I mean, I got to say, as some, you know, in our jobs, we are often the, the harshest critics of our state government. And it does seem both in that bipartisan effort and just, um, you know, it, it feels like they are taking this very seriously and I think have been doing good work. I think everyone's been heartened to hear so much from the governor because this is a moment when you want to hear from leaders. Um, but on the other hand, Katie, we're also, you know, looking forward and there's a ton of uncertainty. I know you've been checking around on what this could mean for the state budget. Um, can you talk about that a little bit and then maybe also about what the governor has been talking about in terms of meeting those that hospital capacity that we're all so concerned about if this continues to spread? Right. Well, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag on the budget. The good news is going into this, we are in good financial shape. Um, The governor had proposed a, a, a... a reserve fund of $21 billion for uh, next fiscal year. And um, we had been, the LAO just put out a report saying that that's the legislative analyst office, saying that the state's been paying its bills, you know, it's been working with the balanced budget. So from that perspective, we're really in as good a shape as we can be. However, Um, California relies a lot on capital gains taxes for its budget, which are closely tied to the stock market. And aside from that, you know, we are seeing these tax filing deadlines get pushed out. So lawmakers might not even know what revenue they have to allocate. So it really is uncertain. And if this continues on, you can just see the um, financial strain that it could really put on the state and It could be bad. In terms of the hospital capacity, Katie, uh, I know that the governor is talking with 
the federal government in terms of uh, there's been talk of maybe having a some kind of a hospital floating hospital off the coast um, you know so many of the ICU beds are in Southern California which is you know where a lot of people live of course but uh, you know is there talk up there about how to accommodate people even in rural areas where these kinds of facilities might you know might not or don't exist well, the governor has been talking a lot about uh, procuring hospitals. He said, you know, like uh, the state will effectively, I suppose, lease a hospital and, and use that for patients. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of talk about buying hotels and motels as places where you can put people who need to be in isolation or places for um, them to recover. So perhaps you might use that in a rural spot where there aren't a lot of hospitals. I think that, again, this is something that we just really haven't seen before. For. And so you're seeing the government kind of take action that you might not have um, noticed before. I mean, there was a mention early on from the governor to get the to prepare for state agencies to prepare for um, eminent domain, things like commandeering um, places that they might deem you know necessary to use in like recovering from this or dealing with this outbreak. We haven't gotten there yet. And the governor is really trying to sort of downplay, I think, in some way, not the seriousness, but trying to keep people calm and saying, oh, yeah, like that's a possibility, but we're not there. We're not there. (laughs) Yeah, he definitely demurred when he was asked for potential fatality projections, which I I think is smart. And I think, you know, we're about to talk to Dr. Pan. I think we can talk about that um, balance between, you know, the alarm that is real, but also not panic. Um, All right, Katie, we are going to let you go. Thank you so much for all your work this week. You're welcome. Thanks, Katie. Uh, We're going to take, yeah, thanks, Katie. We're going to take a short break now, and when we return, we will be joined by Sacramento State Senator Dr. Richard Pan. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. And today we are pleased to be joined by Dr. Richard Pan, a state senator from Sacramento. Dr. Pan, welcome to The Breakdown. 
Thank you. Welcome. Um, so we have mentioned several times you are a doctor, um, and as you heard, we were talking about that $1.1 billion emergency allocation that the legislature passed before adjourning for a few weeks. Um, it really was an extraordinary show of bipartisanship. I'm curious, as the sort of resident uh, medical expert up there, and you're chair of the Senate Health Committee also, mm-hmm. how much are members coming to you during a time like this to bounce stuff off of you to get your kind of point of view? Well, I appreciate that many of my colleagues have uh, approached me and asked me questions, uh, have uh, asked me to even speak to some of their constituents to help answer questions or have personal questions. And uh, because this is a new virus, there's a lot we don't know about it. We are learning a lot about it. And we're all trying to figure out what we can do together to uh, keep people in California safe, to slow the spread of this virus. We see what's going on around the world with this virus. And uh, you know, we do need to act to try to uh, slow the spread and uh, keep people safe and try to protect as many people as possible. Dr. Pam, we haven't uh, seen any uh, you know, uh, widespread unrest or anything like that. Uh, people obviously are concerned. Uh, we're still at the very beginning of this situation. But I'm wondering, you, you took the lead on the uh, vaccine legislation and tightening up the medical exemptions around that. And you got a lot of flack, to say the least. Uh, your life was threatened, I believe. What did you learn from that, uh, just in general, number one? And secondly, that you, know, you think applies to how people might be reacting going forward about, uh, about this pandemic? Well, I think those are probably two very different situations. Uh, It is unfortunate that um, there's a lot of mis- or actually disinformation about vaccines that were spread that made uh, some people, uh, it's a minority, but some people very anxious about that. And uh, we are actually facing this with the coronavirus as well. The World Health Organization has identified vaccine hesitancy as one of the top 10 global health threats uh, prior to this outbreak. And as the coronavirus spread, he also talked about the uh, not only the the, well, now currently the pandemic, but also the uh, the misinformation uh, spread as well as being equally as dangerous as the virus itself. So uh, one of the things that uh, we do need to try to address is the spread of uh, misinformation or even disinformation. There are people who unfortunately are out there spreading false information about the virus and therefore undermining our public health efforts to try to slow this virus down. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Pan, I mean, you have been in many areas of this. You've been in the legislature. You, you're a clinician. You've been a teacher. Can you talk about how prepared our public health system in California is for this, uh, its readiness? Because that does seem to be the sort of uncertain mounting concern for the future? Well, actually, interesting enough, uh, a year ago, uh, back on, I think it's March 6th, uh, last year, before coronavirus was ever identified, uh, we actually held a hearing in the Senate Health Committee, which I chaired, looking at our preparedness for uh, future outbreaks. And actually, even many years before, when I was chair of the Assembly Health Committee, when I served as an Assembly member, I also held a hearing on this very issue. Because uh, these, when these outbreaks happen, it's too late to uh, staff up, right? I mean, you don't have public health experts uh, sitting around uh, waiting to be called in the last minute. You either have them available or you don't. Uh, so one of the things that we talked about was the need to have uh, appropriate staffing in our county health departments who are on the very front lines 
they're the ones who actually have to do a lot of the groundwork. Uh, we need to be sure we have the lab capacity in our labs at the state and as well as our local areas as well to handle an outbreak. And it's always challenging because what happened is, is that during the Great Recession, when we had to make many cuts to many different services, uh, public health uh, took cuts because, after all, when something isn't happening and you go, well, you know, do you need these people right now? We kind of need people for other things, so we should lay off these people. In fact, during the H1N1 outbreak here in Sacramento County, I remembered uh, talking to our uh, local public health officer who said that the very workers she had out there uh, doing the contact tracing to try to limit the spread of H1N1 also had pink slips. Uh, so they knew they were about to be laid off, and she said it was fortunate that uh, the work that they were doing and the outbreak was happening right before they were being laid off because she didn't know what she'd do uh, if it had happened afterwards because she wouldn't have had the staff. So certainly some of the things that I've worked on is trying to increase and build our public health capacity. Now, I would point out that this coronavirus outbreak is certainly at a scale of something that we haven't seen for a very long time. Uh, so uh, I'm not, uh, I, I would say is that uh, even in, 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 you know, if we were, had been more successful uh, in, in building that capacity, we would still be certainly stretched. And I would do also want to point out that, uh, you know, we have responded. Uh, so in fact, in last year's budget, uh, I appreciated the governor uh, agreeing with the legislature to actually provide additional funds to county health departments to try to increase the capacity. So we actually passed that for this year's budget. Uh, not because we knew coronavirus was coming, but we knew we had to build our capacity again. Well, I wonder, you know, uh, obviously the revenues are going to be uh, falling, and we all know that uh, California is so uh, reliant on capital gains and income tax, that sort of thing. There are going to be layoffs, undoubtedly. And also, you know, when that happens, uh, the demand for public services goes up. Uh, there'll be people trying to qualify for Medicaid, the expansion of the ACA, and so on. Um, how prepared is the state? I know we have a large surplus, a rainy day fund, but um, you know, just in terms of preparing the public, you know, what are what are you and your colleagues thinking about uh, what this might look like going forward? Well, again, as I said, uh, we haven't had an outbreak probably at this scale uh, for many decades. When people, some people are comparing it to the 1918 uh, flu pandemic in its scale. Uh, in terms of uh, how it spread around the world, the number of cases and so forth, uh, in addition to the number of deaths in the 1918 flu pandemic, uh, which, by the way, happened prior to the existence of a flu vaccine, so there was very little treatment for it, uh, that it had a tremendous economic as well as, of course, human toll uh, of that pandemic. Uh, so well, as we're looking at this particular pandemic, uh, the good news is that the state is probably in one of its strongest financial positions it has ever been, right? We, as the legislature, working with uh, Governor Brown, now Governor Newsom, have uh, collected reserves during the good times to help buffer against economic downturns. Um, we have uh, worked hard to be sure we paid down uh, our state debts so that we uh, d minimize the amount of debt we have to handle. Um, and so in that sense, uh, we're in a good position. Now, the challenge is this is a very large outbreak with global consequences, and you see what's happened to the stock market, uh, what's happening to our businesses, uh, thinking about all the small businesses that are closed, uh, and then thinking about the people working uh, in those small businesses who either are laid off or are going to get much smaller paychecks because they get paid by the hour, and they're not 
at work because the business is closed. Uh, we need help from the federal government. Uh, you know, we have to have a balanced budget. Uh, the federal government needs to step in and uh, provide assistance, expand uh, support for uh, people who may end up being on unemployment uh, because they're being laid off. Uh, th that needs to be supported. We need to have money for uh, our uh, health response. Uh, we need to have funding to help uh, uh, the families whose kids are at school who may need uh, 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 food uh, through our uh, uh, CalFresh program, uh, who also uh, need uh, other types of help as well. You know, people need to be able to pay their rent, uh, et cetera. Uh, so you know, we're all in this together. And so it is really critical that uh, all the different levels of government are working together, but particularly on the financial end. Uh, and I appreciate the fact that the uh, Congress and uh, the president are uh, working together to think about what are some of the things the federal government can do to uh, really help support us, because this isn't something that the state can do by itself. Yeah, I mean, in that regard, we also have a lot of personal responsibility in terms of how we're all acting right now. Um, yes. There was a study released this week out of the UK, um, and you know this is still so early, but they have basically concluded that to keep from overwhelming our healthcare systems and see very high mortality rates, that this could go on, I mean, for a year and a half or more, and maybe not that we're all sheltering in place for that long, um, but that it might go on and off and that we all need to sort of adjust to something that could look very different than what we're used to. How sort of confident are you in our ability in California to, to get that message to people and to um, for us to really to, to kind of wrap our heads around that? Well, I, I do believe in the people of California and that we can come together to address this crisis. The study that you refer to is a simulation uh, based on the best available information uh, that we have about the virus, which, by the way, is a very new virus, so we are still figuring it out. Um, this simulation, which looked at uh, both the UK and the United States taking uh, detailed demographic data, overlaying it with information about the virus and how it spreads, uh, basically indicates that if we do nothing, which we're not doing, but if we do nothing and we allow this virus to spread, quote, naturally, uh, it will overwhelm our healthcare system. And I think if you want to see what that means, uh, look at what's happening in Italy. Uh, so their, the health, their healthcare system is overwhelmed. They have people who uh, come to the hospital and they don't have enough ventilators. Uh, they don't have enough people to take care of them. And uh, so people are dying uh, not just from the disease directly, but because they also can't get the supportive care. Unfortunately, we don't have any actual uh, treatment for this. Scientists are trying to work on it. Uh, we've actually amazingly with our medical science have been able to totally sequence the genome of this virus, but it takes time to figure out treatments. We also don't have a vaccine for this virus. Uh, that's at least 18 months away if everything goes perfectly. And if uh, not, it's going to take even longer. Uh, so the challenge what this simulation shows is, is that what we can do, what we can do to save lives is to slow the spread of the virus so that we don't overwhelm our healthcare systems. Uh, so if you think about the number of beds we have, and I also would point out, it's not just the number of beds and number of ventilators, it's also the healthcare personnel right. who work there, right? You need doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists and other professionals to take care of you. And to stay and healthy so, themselves. Yes, and they have to stay healthy themselves because they have. We need to be sure they're able to continue to be there and to function in the long run. Okay, 
So when we talk about so-called flattening the curve, you might have been hearing that term uh, talked about a lot. What that really means is that we're slowing the spread of this infection so that at any one time, we don't have too, you know, we don't have so many people sick that we overwhelm the hospital. So we're slowing the spread. So you're still going to have people, a lot of people catching the disease and many of them requiring hospitalization. But because they're not all coming at the same time, they're being spread out over time, then our healthcare system is able to keep pace with this. That means that we have the beds, we have the ventilators, we have the people to provide that care, that they're available over that period of time so that it, they don't get overrun. And so that's what we're trying to do. And in order to make that successful, what this model showed is, is that everybody, everybody has to do their part to try to slow the spread of the disease. And I will point out, there's not enough police and National Guard in the whole state or country to make people do the things they need to do. We all have to understand our own personal responsibility to do the things we need to do to not only protect other people, particularly the most vulnerable, but even ourselves and our own families. And that's what we're, we need to call on Californians to do. And we're going to have to do it for a very long time as well. It's not something that's going to be like, oh, a couple weeks, and then we're all back to business as usual. This is going to be something we're going to need to be able to do over probably a period of many months and maybe even longer than that. Dr. Pan, uh, wow. your family, your parents were from uh, Taiwan. Um, mm-hmm. I think you were born in uh, Yonkers. Uh, but I, I wonder, you know, with, with the, the implication of this coming from China, the president seeming, seemingly unwilling to let go of calling it a Chinese virus, um, you know, what are your thoughts about that, both personally as an Asian American uh, in, in California, but also, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the impact on public health, and the way that this whole pandemic is perceived? Well, I think it's uh, truly unfortunate that the president and some other um, uh, leaders in our, uh, our nation uh, persist to uh, call, refer to this as being from you know, the Chinese virus or something, or China virus, or from being a country. By the way, more people have died in Italy of this virus than China now, I think, at this point. I'm not going to call it the Italian virus, because that's ridiculous. <laughs> this virus is spreading in our own state, in our own country. It's spreading around the world. It's not going to be stopped uh, by shutting down the borders, okay? Uh, this is a worldwide problem, and it's spreading within our own uh, communities. Uh, it here in California, um, we need not to be distracted uh, by rhetoric that this is an outside event. This is an event about what we can all do here in California ourselves to protect ourselves. It's not an external enemy. This is something that is happening here in our community, and it's about all of us working together, not stigmatizing people, not uh, driving people underground, I want to also point out, if we're going to effectively stop the spread of this virus, we need people to feel comfortable to come forward and be identified. And uh, if they need testing, to get tested. If they need treatment, to get treatment. No matter where they came from, what their race or ethnicity is, whatever their immigration status is, okay, we're all equal in this. We're all equally vulnerable. We're all equally can help. We need everyone working together to stop the spread of this virus. 
Um, that is absolutely true. And I wanted to ask you, I mean, places that have been more successful, Singapore, South Korea, have taken what we might see as pretty draconian measures in terms of contact tracing, really, you know, using people's personal devices to, to monitor their movements. Um, I know we're not really at that point anyway, because we're not testing enough people here yet. But I mean, do you think that those are measures that we might have to consider here that might fly in the face of sort of some of the values we hold in California? Well, I, I think that uh, we can s stop this virus or slow this virus uh, while still adhering to our values, but it does mean that people need to work together. Uh, and uh, it does mean that people need to recognize their own one responsibilities, right? We like to talk a lot about personal responsibility. Well, uh, we also have to talk about personal accountability. And people need to uh, uh, follow the directives uh, to avoid the spread of this virus. Uh, the other thing is, of course, we need to continue to work harder uh, in uh, our government to make testing more available. So most of the countries like Singapore, Taiwan, uh, South Korea have been able to do more testing so we can better identify uh, who has and who doesn't have the infection. Uh, also, probably eventually, we'd also want to try and identify who has recovered and is now immune. We need to work intensively on eventually developing uh, a vaccination that would help protect our most vulnerable so that, the, so that they can be protected without having to actually catch the disease. And we need to acknowledge the fact that this disease is a serious disease, particularly for uh, our people who are over 65, uh, who have pre-existing lung and heart conditions, diabetes, or immunocompromised. But I also make note, as we talk about the spread of this virus and how we need to slow it. While certainly uh, young, healthy people are much, much less likely to uh, die from this virus, there is still a relatively high rate of hospitalization uh, for this virus. And what that means is that if our hospitals are overwhelmed, then that means it's difficult for anyone to get the care they need. So if you're younger and you could survive this virus, but you might need hospitalization and the hospital's full, there's a problem, right? And I also want to remind people that uh, we normally do have people in the hospital for a lot of other things other than coronavirus. So people are being treated for cancer. People have other types right. of conditions. I've been telling my kids, like, don't break your leg right now. This is not the time <laughs> to break your leg, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would point, also point out, I mean, it's a, probably a little late now, uh, but that's why I was telling people earlier, get your flu shot because right. we don't need beds occupied pe people who have the flu, right? The flu shot will always those advice. hospitalizations. All right, Dr. Right. Pan, we have to leave it there. Good advice all around. Thank you so much Thank for you your so time. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Lindsay, Vinnie Tong, Jonathan Blakely, and Julie Kane. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can always find me on Twitter. I'm at MLagos. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.